It's the economy, stupid. The real wolf of Wall Street. Jordan Belfort joins me to break down the Pelosi stock portfolio, the Brandon economy, and more. Then, it's not just humans suffering under Biden inflation. Pets are being dumped and abandoned at shocking rates. But that's not all. Some of these dogs are spending weeks or even months inside crates at the shelter. An ex-LA Animal Services volunteer was suspended for blowing the whistle, and he joins me tonight. And you know I'll top it all off with some final thoughts of my own. That's all ahead, and the fun starts right now. Let me take you back to good old 1992, my birth year, and the line made famous by the Clinton campaign. And no, it didn't have anything to do with Monica Lewinsky. That came later. The line was, it's the economy, stupid. And that line, that mantra, is as relevant today as it was in 92. Someone tell Joe Brandon. When it comes to breaking records, Joe breaks a lot of them, just not the good kind. Inflation hits a new record high with each passing month, and in June, the consumer price index rose over 9%. Inflation might not be as sexy to talk about as January 6th, but unlike January 6th, this pocketbook-crushing kick in the shorts has been going on for months on end and well before Putin's forces ever touched Ukraine. But our White House press secretary, arguably the worst to ever stand behind the podium, shows us it doesn't take much to excite an out-of-touch liberal with no concept of the average American struggle. Hey everybody, so gas prices have been declining across the country. In the past more than 30 days, we have seen gas prices go down by more than 50 cents per gallon. So let's get into some graphs. This is so exciting, guys. I'm in the graph. In more than 20,000 gas stations just across the country, as you'll see in this graph, you will see gas prices less than $4. At current prices, average American driver will spend about $25 per month less on gasoline than they would have if prices had stayed at their June peak. Gas prices should continue to decline and President Biden is committed to doing everything that he can to give families a little bit of breathing room. Let me just say we're all glad Joe is giving us breathing room. He has COVID, and besides that, he's usually sniffing children, so this is a plus. But other than that high note, this video is trash. Gas prices are still a dollar higher than last year at this time and two bucks higher than when they were when Biden took office. KGP spent a minute and 30 seconds telling us things were so bad in June that it's so exciting that instead of being over the cliff, we're just dangling on the edge. How exciting. I'm excited, aren't you guys? Furthermore, if Joe wanted to actually do something to lower gas prices, he'd open up the pipelines he canceled as well as oil leaches on federal land. Instead, he guzzled jet fuel to Saudi Arabia to fist bump the prince and beg for oil from the same country responsible for 9-11. But he's doing his best, guys. Up next, we're staying on this economic theme along with the pocket lining the Pelosi's have enjoyed off the backs of the American people. And the real wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort, joins me next. The Wolf of Wall Street was nominated for five Academy Awards, is Martin Scorsese's highest-grossing film to date, and raked in nearly $400 million worldwide. But it was all based on the life, the rise, and the fall of my next guest, the real Wolf of Wall Street, who I'd assume is a little more conservative than DiCaprio, and that's Jordan Belfort. Now, Jordan, I want to start with the Pelosi's, but I have to give a little background to my audience here, those that haven't been paying attention, those that maybe watch CNN a little too often. 
So ahead of Congress's vote on a $52 billion subsidy to the semiconductor industry, Paul miraculously made a multi-million dollar stock purchase in a semiconductor company. But last week, a reporter asked Nancy if her husband had ever made stock purchases based on any info that she might have fed to him. And this was her very angry response. What are you saying? Uh, over the course of your career, has your husband ever made a stock purchase or sale based on information you received from him? No. Absolutely not. Okay. Thank you. Jordan, she was so mad that she was even asked that question. But either Paul Pelosi has some kind of a psychic ability or something's going on here. What do you think about that whole situation? They've got an incredible stock portfolio. And if there's anybody I yeah. trust to break it down, it's you. Listen, I, I, I think... It's one of those things that would be really hard to prove, but how on earth could these two people be living together, be married? And like, you know, there's just, it's, it will be impossible to think that information is not being passed along casual or whatnot. I mean, it's, it, I, I, there needs to be a, a protection in place that people that are married to, you know, politicians making law like that have such an impact on the markets. They really should not be able to trade in any stocks that are influenced by that. It, it has to happen. I, I even say, listen, to think that it wouldn't happen, it's, it's preposterous, but I'm not saying I have proof that it happened, but it, it's too easy for someone that you're living with when, you know, just in the normal course of things, right? He's uh, he's an investor, right? If you go back in history, this guy has made incredible calls on a consistent basis that were directly in line, many of them, with things that were going on regulatory-wise. So, you know, you know, two plus two equals four in this universe. So when you just look at it, you know, thousands of you, it had to have happened. Do I have proof? No. Yeah, very suspect there. But, you know, Nancy has said in the past when talking about maybe having more regulation on this, she said, you know, we believe in the free market. So this is the first time she believes in the free market when it's lining her and her husband's pockets. But <laughs> Well, that's not that free markets. Yeah, I mean, she should believe in the free markets, but this is not about the free markets. It's about, you know, insider trading. It's about, about having information about outcomes of, you know, future rules that the regular person just simply doesn't have. He has uh, in information that is not public yet. So, you know, it's very hard to prove. It really is. It's very hard to prove. And I think it's so hard to prove. And I wouldn't say it's only Nancy Pelosi, by the way, just, you know, I'm sure it's other people besides her too. She's just a shining white light on it right now. And, and she's a very, you know, when you start doing something, you know, listen, there's many people breaking the laws I was breaking, but when you break them so in such a big way, in a public way, well, guess what? And you paid the price for it. Right. So, um, I think there needs to be some, you know, some, framework in place that stops this from happening with Nancy Pelosi and others like her. There's only way that only one way that a career politician can be that rich. Something fishy has got to be going on there. <laughs> These two miraculously are making a whole lot of money and Nancy's been in that position for a long time and we know that her congressional salary and paycheck is not that high to equate to the millions and millions of dollars they've raked in. If you go back to his some of the stock trades he's made, they've been uncannily accurate. Like he's basically a lot smarter than Warren Buffett for some reason. So, you know, you tell me, what do you think is going on, Tommy? But, and you're right. It's very hard to prove, you know? You're right when you talked about them not being the only ones that are possibly engaging in some kind of activity here, because back in, in the beginning of the COVID days, there were a lot of members of Congress that were investing in this and that and then making votes that really right. subsidize the pharmaceutical industry. There's crooks all the way around. But I want to ask about the current state of the Brandon economy and, and give you a chance to comment <sighs> on what you're seeing as well, because 
it's certainly a mess. I know you moved to Florida. You got the heck out of California, so at least you're not hemorrhaging tax dollars. But no matter what state right. you live in, we're still in the Brandon-Biden economy. I've never seen a stronger case for self-inflicted wounds. Like, this is like self-inflicted. This whole thing, it's unbelievable. Like, so the first thing he does is you take away our energy independence. I mean, like, it's, it's like, why would you do that to an economy that's so dependent on energy and fossil fuels? That also emboldens Russia to do what they did, right? Which creates mayhem in the world stage uncertainty. And also this, you know, there was just things that were done in terms of the workforce of paying people not to work and, and creating a situation where you almost changed the psychology of the United States over the last couple of years. and. At some point, you know, it has to give. And, you know, how long did it take? Well, it happened, you know, finally it showed up where this, you know, suddenly interest rates uh, have to spike because inflation is, is so rampant. I think it's inflation is much, much higher. They they changed the way they measured it. So, um, you know, again, a couple of things here. Number one, if you look back on the Trump, you know, you could have hated Trump for what he tweeted. But this guy, when it came to the economy, it came to really running the country like a business, there was really sound fiscal policy in place. Regulations, barriers were being brought down that allowed companies to grow and and, and make money. It, it really is. It's, it's shocking that as soon as it's almost as soon as he took office, he literally did like three or four things. The first one was removing our energy independence. That has so many ramifications in so many different levels. Right. Then just putting up more barriers for with regulations for companies. And and then also it's the psychology as soon as and it's like psychology feeds on itself. As soon as people think that, oh, my God, we're in this negative regulatory environment and and, um, you know, and there's going to be shortages of energy. Well, then guess what? It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, too. And it's really it's really sad because this just didn't have to happen. And and here we are. And it's only going to get worse, by the way. It's not getting better anytime soon. So the Democrats pride themselves on a platform that's for the average American. You know, they really talk about bringing down the man, bringing down Wall Street. But as someone who knows Wall Street, perhaps better than anyone, certainly that I know, how do the Democrats treat Wall Street? And are those on Wall Street making more money under Trump, under Biden? Or where do you see this thing going with this economy in this market? I, I think this is, is what's happening, interestingly, in, in my lifetime, at the, is that you're watching a complete reversal of what it meant to be a Republican and a Democrat. The Democrats are now like the party of the elite and the wealthy and the people that have become so wealthy that they don't care about taxes going up anymore because they just want to feel good socially by, you know, virtue signaling things about global warming and and and, and things like that. It's no and and, and gender pronouns. Like no, it's it's become the party that's not of the people. It's not. It's the party of the victim. It's the party of the elitist. And frankly, you see that better than anywhere in the Latino vote, right, which is going so heavily Republican right now, because I think Latinos are really a great example of, of a microcosm of, of, of the American population. That's like they're really success oriented. They have their rules oriented there. They, they want to come in to seek the American. Dream. Like, Wait a second. The American Jews is not represented by the Democratic Party. It's represented by the Republican Party. And you watch them, this sudden massive shift. I have a theory. I think the Democrats want to get us as close to socialism as possible, and they want to do it as rapidly as possible. So there's economists talking about a potential recession. I don't think the Democrats care if we go into recession. In fact, I think that there are some, especially the globalists, the elitists, the leftists, I think they want to see the United States plunge into a recession because I think that that'll bring about socialism faster for them and convince people to put more trust in government and more dependence on government. Do you think they're cheering for a recession? You think that that's a possibility? So it's a, it's, I, I, you know, listen, there's, it's a very complex narrative because there's, 
two sides to that. On some level, I agree that what you're saying makes sense and it could be so, but also in a recession, that's going to be very, very problematic for them when people go to vote if the country's doing poorly because people tend to vote along the lines of their pocketbook, right? So while in theory, yes, they want to make us poorer and more dependent on government handouts and so forth, May where it's like in Argentina, if you don't vote, my wife's Argentinian, in Argentina, it's so bad that if, that if you don't vote for the right person, when they, you don't get your handout. Like they'll stop giving you your handout if you vote against the socialists. That's exactly there, right? what I'm saying. That's what worries I me. I mean, you saw FDR. You saw what he was able to do during the Great Depression. The man was in office longer than he should have been, but it's because people were afraid. People put all their trust in government. And I think that's when we really had the shift too, of where people used to be proud to make a living. And then they got a little bit more used to relying on the government. And that's when you started seeing things change. And what do you think about that? Because if you walk around, I don't care if you're in Tennessee, you're in Florida, you're in California, help wanted signs everywhere. Restaurants having to close early, businesses having to close early because no one wants to work anymore. What is going on, Jordan? Why are people so lazy and how are they making money? I can't figure it out for the life of me. So first, that was the first point that I briefly touched on. It was a change in the psychology with COVID of people not wanting to work. It's it's shocking. It's, it's literally shocking. And I, and I think that um, it's going to take a shape is going to, something's going to have to give here. Okay. Because I have friends that own business. I own a business. It is really, really hard. I used to have a joke. Oh, it's a good help is hard to find. That was a joke, right? That good help is like impossible to find right now. And people don't want to work. I don't know how people are getting their money. I, I don't, the, the problem started when you paid people more money to stay home on unemployment than to go work at the job. That was the shit. That was the moment where I said, oh my God, this is, this is an unintended consequence. It's going to have to happen that you're going to have this wild ship saying people, well, why should I work then? Right? So the question is, is how long is that hangover going to be? I have faith in the American people, by the way. I'm a, I love the country. I believe that American people are the toughest, most resilient people in the world. So I believe that we're going to break out of that mindset. I don't think that's a permanent thing. I think it's going to there's going to be a shock to the system. And the government has got to get people off the teeth, so to speak, and stop paying people to stay home and not work. That is the death of capitalism. That's the death of prosperity. And we see that happening right now. So what you see right now with inflation, is is, is 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 caused by a number of things colliding. One is obviously you know flawed monetary policy for many years at the Federal Reserve and a misreading of the signs that was so fucking obvious. I don't know how they misread them, but they miss they say they misread them. Fair enough, right? Two that the the solution is not so much just on you know tightening monetary policy and and raising interest rates, but also there's a supply side issue. So like you're you're attacking one problem, but it's not really helping much if the supply side is not being resolved. So you have issues with China locking down their economy. Everyone sneezes because of COVID. I mean, how long could this go on? You know, so, so as long as that stuff is gone, there's these outside shocks that we don't control, right? But the third part is, is this whole idea of people not wanting to work to make a living. And that has a profound impact on everything in the economy. Because, you know, it's it, at some point, people are, gonna, are not going to run out of money. They're going to have to reduce their spending, which is going to cause even more of a recession. And this other thing is how high can we raise our interest rates when we have the amount of outstanding debt that we have? Every time we raise rates, it makes our ability to service debt you know, it costs us more. Well, I wonder what's going to happen as well, because when these people finally do go back to work, then there are going to be businesses that close because they couldn't find anyone to work. They couldn't stay open. And then people aren't going to have jobs to go to. And then, then we're in that situation that we were in in 2008, 2009, 2010. 
But I want to talk to you about one last thing because I know that you're really passionate about big sure. tech. So I have to get your thoughts on the whole Elon Musk Twitter situation and how that fell through. Do you think he ever genuinely really wanted to purchase Twitter or was this all a PR stunt? Because I'm starting to feel like maybe it was a little bit of a PR stunt, but I know this is a topic you really care about big tech and breaking yeah. it up. I don't think it was, I don't think it started as a PR stunt at all. I think that's a really expensive and I don't think he's that, and he's a little bit insane because he's a mad genius. So he's definitely somewhat insane. Right. And can't hold that against him. But uh, I think he started off wanting to buy it in the middle of him buying it. There was changes that were happening in the markets in general, massive headwinds and valuations were going down. Uh, crypto crashed, uh, the stock market crashed. And um, suddenly the valuation that he had made the offer at no longer made any sense. And I think that was a really big part of it, that he had buyer's remorse, not so much for buying Twitter, but at the price that he wanted to buy it at. And I think that he probably would have loved to have done it because the price of Tesla went down dramatically as well. So a lot of his wealth is tied up in Tesla. So, you know, it's not just the pre that he's overpaying for Bitcoin, but it's becoming, as Tesla goes down 30%, that his purchase of Twitter goes up by 30%. So there's these two forces working together. So, um, and then there's the issue of the bots, which is, which is, Correct. I, I, you know, I've spoken to some people who say as much as 30% of, of Twitter is, is bots. It's not real. But I would suspect he knew that going in. I don't think that was a shock to him uh, when he got into it. I think it's really a matter of that Tesla stock went down. Uh, the market in general went down. And the, he's looking at saying that's not a fair price I'm paying for Twitter. And let me do some things here that I can eventually have some peace with honor and, and maybe buy Twitter at a price far below what I originally said, or maybe he plans to walk away and, just, and pay the breakup fee. I, I don't think he did it as a PR stunt. It's a very, I don't think this is good PR for him at all. Do you think we're ever going to see a day where big tech is actually broken up? Because if Elon Musk can't do it, you know, all the, the parlors of the world, all these other outlets that try to start up, they either get kicked off of the app stores or they just never really make any headway because they're too fringe on one side or the other. Are we ever going to see a day where we have an actual open place of communication? Because it's feeling like that day is getting further and further away. It's a, it's a, that's a good question, Tommy. I, you know, I, I sincerely hope so. Um, I honestly don't know. You know, as these these companies get so big uh, and so powerful, uh, they have so much political influence, and also they're. It's it's interests me is that I don't know why Trump wasn't more aggressive with it. In other words, like I I, I don't get it. Like there was there was moments where I said, "Wow, we finally have control of the of, of the Congress. We have the right president. How could they not just go full steam ahead and just go and like and just dismantle these these monopolies and and make them into utilities? They should be utilities. They're utilities. You know, Google is a utility. Okay, it, it just is. What we and I don't mean that they're ad. They could what they do with their ad business. How they when well, that's their business. I don't care about their ads and how much money they make. I don't care about that. I'm talking about the actually what information is allowed to be seen and what's not allowed to be seen. What can be said, what can't be said. That must be a publicly regulated utility because that is freedom itself. See, after Biden won the election, I'm like this is just off. I just couldn't. I'm like enough because like, you can drive yourself crazy after a while looking at you know what what happened after Biden got into office, right? So and. It, like to say that is he really even in control of anything? Like yeah. he's fucking, excuse me, he's senile. The guy, he's senile, and everyone knows he's senile, and he's the president of the United States. It's it's not normal what's going on right now. So at a certain point, to say I'm just I, I have to back off because I'm going to drive myself insane, right? Um, I, I sincerely hope that at some point um, these 
big tech monopolies become treated like more like utilities. And 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 what's posted online is not up to a bunch of people who are on the fringe liberals. They're on the very ultra liberal people there. They are. Everyone knows that, right? That that has to change. And I, I don't know why. It, I, I don't know why it didn't change when Trump was in power in the early years. It just seemed like he was he was reluctant to do it too. I don't know why. Well, I think it's because they were angry that he was in power and they thought that if they manipulated social media, but it's a double-edged sword because in one in one way, you need these outlets because the mainstream media isn't fair to conservatives, but then you got these that aren't fair to conservatives, so you got to pick your poison. Jordan, I hope that we see a day during the midterms, maybe in 2024, maybe your governor will become our president, which is what I'm really rooting for, and all of this turns around. But until then, enjoy Florida. I'm glad you got out of California. We're both uh, California refugees. <laughs> And uh, I appreciate you taking the time. You got it, Holly. Take care. Thanks, Jordan. All right. Still ahead, a shocking and heartbreaking discovery out of L.A. Dogs going weeks or even months without being walked, stuck in cages, and it makes me absolutely sick. But the volunteer whistleblower who exposed it, exposed it all joins me next. It was the headline that ripped my heart right out of my chest. Dogs under the care of L.A. Animal Services or going weeks, if not months, without being walked or even taken out of their crates. This is just plain unacceptable. Joining me now is Claudio Kushner, a volunteer at the West and East Valley Shelter who has since been suspended for talking to the media. And also joining the conversation is K911 Rescue founder and president, Sabrina Soma. All right, Claudio, I want to start with you because I saw this headline in the LA Times and I have to give you a huge pat on the back for going to the media with this because if not for you, a lot of people wouldn't know what was happening. So break down what you saw and what my viewers need to know about what's going on in LA. Sure. First, I'd like to just mention that although I am a volunteer for LA Animal Services, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, an individual, and not on behalf of the department. So basically, this all really started with uh, COVID. Uh, a lot of people were adopting dogs uh, at a very rapid rate. Uh, you probably saw a lot of stories where the shelters were being empty. Um, but as COVID went along, uh, a lot of these dogs were returned and started to refill up the shelters. Uh, we were on an appointment-only system for quite a long time, and basically the intakes of dogs have much uh, more increased over the adoptions of dogs and cats. So the shelters have become full. Uh, we've been trying to get them to reopen the shelters, uh, change their policies, uh, their COVID policy for the LA Animal Services is literally that if someone comes in contact with someone with COVID, they can have a, they can do, they can either take a test and come back right away, or they can take ten days off with pay, um, which creates a big staffing shortage at the shelter. I'm not even sure how many times they're allowed to do this. They might be able to come back after ten days, come in contact with someone, and take another ten days. So the shelters, uh, because they're so short-handed. And for other reasons, many dogs, uh, the shelters are completely full, about 1,200 dogs right now. Some dogs, uh, in some of the more crowded shelters, uh, three weeks. Now, if you're an evidence dog at the shelter and you're ever waiting for a case, you can stay six or seven months inside of a kennel without ever being taken out. That is just, um, I have to stop you there because that is what absolutely kills me. I'm seeing these photos of these dogs, these big dogs, these German shepherds in crates unable to even walk around. I can't even look at it, quite frankly, without going into tears. But I want to reiterate for my audience a point that you just made. 
Also, those that are coming in by appointment or now that the shelters have started to open up for actual public viewing, you have to show, you have to wear a mask and you have to show your COVID vax card, correct, to be able to go in and adopt a dog? True. Okay, That's so true. you've got- We're a the only place, yes. We're the only place in the surrounding area that requires vaccination, proof of vaccination. And most places also do not require masks anymore, even in the city of LA. So you have to, somebody that wants to come in and save a dog, these are unwanted animals that are sitting in their crates for weeks or months, somebody wants to come in, but they have to be vaccinated so that they can adopt a dog? That is lunacy at its best, that is LA at its best, and it makes me so mad I could scream. And then furthermore, you've got an interesting dynamic going on because you've got employees of the shelter who are basically able to take unlimited vacation for COVID, but then you've got people like yourself who are volunteers who are making up much of the workforce, and then they suspended your ass for telling the media what they were doing. That is absolutely unbelievable. I know that you're not a spokesperson for LA Animal Services. I'm certainly not a spokesperson for LA Animal Service, but this makes my blood boil. And Sabrina, I wanna go to you because I know that you have seen some of the most horrific things. For everybody, they need to go to your page and anybody in LA that can help out, please do what you can. If I could rescue them all, if I was still in California, I would be there doing whatever I could, and I, I send money every month. But what are you seeing now, especially during COVID and now that we're in this post-COVID area with these rescues and these abandoned and dumped dogs? Okay, so basically this is coming from a rescue standpoint. Um, this isn't just LA Animal Services. This is like the entire Southern California shelter system. Like we have a, a big crisis going on with like Riverside, San Bernardino, DeVore, LA County, LA City. Like it's nearly impossible to get a dog. Like yesterday I posted a dog that um, from a shelter that had a broken jaw and it's its jaws literally hanging. Um, it's a Sunday night, so the shelter's closed Sundays, Mondays. Um, we have an email that we can email the, the shelter system directly. So I shot off an email immediately because I got a foster because it's really rare. We're, we're all full, so we don't have a lot of fosters and stuff like that. Um, donations, it takes donations. Um, so I got all that lined up, ready to go. Um, I shot off an email and um, I got a response saying that they'll get back to me within 48 to 72 hours. So I called yesterday and I spent about 45 minutes on hold. I talked to an operator who told me to call back again today. Um, there's a lot of rescue interest in pulling the dog, but now everybody's just kind of waiting to see what the shelter says because the dog is on stray hold, meaning they don't want to release the dog until an owner shows up, if an owner ever shows up. Um, we could good Sam it, which means they'll let us take the dog, go to the vet, treat the dog. Um, but if an owner does come forward, we have to relinquish the dog back, um, but we don't get reimbursed for that. So we have to come out of pocket for that. And you guys rely on volunteers and donations and, and, and fosters. And it's amazing what people are willing to do. And I see it every day on your page. But I wanna go back and discuss this for people because I see on your page, you post all the time, help, help, help. There is this dog in this shelter. Yes. We need pledges to step up and do what they can. But it's not even a matter of finding good people that are willing to do it because these shelters make it so difficult for you to take these dogs. They're in most cases are abused, they're neglected, they're unwanted. But then even good people like yourself ex explain the process of how difficult it is for you guys to even get these dogs out. There are about three rescue coordinators that I work with that are fantastic. They, I send them an email and they shoot them back and we get the dog out and I'm on my way to the vet. 
But the rest of them, I just can't. It takes an act of God just to get a message back. I spend all day on hold. Um, it's nearly impossible. Like, And yes, we are all 100% volunteer. I don't get paid. None of my volunteers get paid. I don't even pay gas money. So that way I know that that money goes to the dog. Do you know what I mean? Because you have to... You just have to raise donations for it. It's not vetting in Los Angeles is out of control. So that's a whole nother issue. I mean, everything, there's an issue with everything. It's a vicious circle. You know, the public um, isn't educated. There's no public outreach. They, they adopt a puppy. Then they dump the puppy when it's a senior. Um, We're just inundated. They're letting the dogs go in the street. They're not even going to the shelter. Like we need stricter laws and stuff like that. Backyard breeders, they got to go. They just got to go. We like, we need a law and we need severe punishments for that because this is completely crazy. Claudia, I want to ask you as well, because you are a volunteer and you and Sabrina do a lot of the same thing. You're in there because you care about these animals. But I got to tell you, I lived in L.A. for a number of years. I tried to go and be a foster for the, the Torrance shelter. And getting in there, the employees were so rude. They were walking around on their cell phones. They were chewing gum. They couldn't care less about the dogs. Now, I'm not saying that this is all of the employees, but certainly the ones I came into contact with, they didn't want to help at all. They, I wanted to just see this dog, walk this dog, maybe see if this dog was a fit that I could foster. They were not interested one iota in making sure that this dog found a safe place. What are some of the things that you're seeing? Because I know there's a big difference between the employees of the shelter and volunteers like yourself and the reasons why they're there and the work that they put in. Well, just like any other business, there are good employees and bad employees. And there, unfortunately, there are many bad employees <laughs> Um, it, it, some shelters are much worse than others. Um, what you're saying is that really true that many, many of the employees are rude. Uh, the clerks are rude. The ACT last Sunday, an ACT was literally yelling at someone who was adopting a dog and he did it to two separate people. And we're just like, why are you yelling at this person? He's, he's adopting a large dog. You know, uh, we need to be, you know, proactive in doing anything we can to help save these dogs. Uh, if you really want to help in the shelter and you want to educate yourself on the shelter and the shelter system, you need to go to a volunteer. We care about these animals. We are the lifesavers of the shelter. And that's the bottom line. Instead of saying volunteer, it should say lifesaver. I have on my phone, every contact, every rescue organization, people I know will come up and step up and, and rescue dogs. I have someone who good Sam's dogs when a dog gets sick and, and needs help right away. Uh, sometimes they even fight the good Sams wanting to help dogs get out. You know, we need to work as a team, okay? And it's not just with the interaction with animals and employees and volunteers and the animals is also way different. You see, we write notes on these dogs and you'll see all good notes from volunteers on these dogs. And then you see all the employees write bad notes on the dogs, like dogs are aggressive, dogs are gonna bite me. You know, they're taking the dog's behavior behind a kennel door and they're trying to describe that, and that's not fair. Kennel presence is not a way to evaluate a dog. You have to evaluate a dog outside of its kennel. Many dogs that they deem are dangerous to handle, I handle all the time, okay? Um, you know, I use a leash when they use a pole, you know? Why are they using a pole on dogs that I, I don't need a pole? Why, why is the guy who works in a private business know how to handle dogs better than the people who actually work there. You well, know, because there right. a lot of these people, they need to go, but we know what it's like to, to fire an employee. 
in L.A. They all know their rights, and it's about impossible to get rid of anybody if there's even the will to get rid of them. But I'm glad that you brought that up because you deal specifically with dogs that are deemed to have behavioral issues. And we actually have a video of one of the dogs that the shelter system said was like basically unadoptable, basically a lost cause. And you took these yes. dogs out of the crates and actually interacted with these dogs. And we're going to play a video of that as well, showing this dog that they deemed really unworthy. Let's take a look. Yep. So this dog, obviously a, a beautiful, yeah. wonderful dog, but they told you that this dog was essentially just euthanize him. He's aggressive. He's mean. Is that um, the case? But the, what the shelter started doing uh, at some point was they made everybody take fear-free shelter training. Um, supposed to be to, you know, how to handle fearful dogs and behavioral dogs using high-value treats to get the dogs out of their kennels to, to help the dogs out. But uh, so this dog was, uh, they had this dog scored as an FAS5, which is the highest level of fear, anxiety, and stress, which means this dog growls, he barks, he shows his teeth, his eyes and pupils are dilated, and he lunges with intent to bite. Okay, that's how this dog was described, okay, from behind a kennel door. You can see that this dog is extremely friendly, obviously. That right? makes me sick, and This is Claudio. just one example. One example, what they have, what they have been using FAS for, is the orange list dogs. An orange list dog at the LA Animal Service Shelter is a dog with a medical problem. Okay, medical problem. So this particular dog and other dogs were scheduled to be euthanized. Okay, for high FAS. That is not a medical condition. That is a behavioral issue, and basically, you know, this dog should not be evaluated. On his kennel presence, he should be evaluated outside of the kennels. The ACTs who work there need to do, a, it's not really their fault, but they, the part of their job needs to be interacting with animals. Well, yeah, imagine we that. Do. A dog is going to be aggressive behind a cage when you leave him in his crate for weeks or months at a time. Imagine the, the situation that these dogs are being put in. You know, I thank you so much. I know that you've been suspended, a volunteer suspended because you called them out. That's a perfect example of LA just wrapped in a bow there. Sabrina, I know both of you are doing such great things. Sabrina, I wanna give you a chance too to tell my viewers where they can go and donate to your cause, how they can help you out to save more dogs. Well, um, basically when, when we post the dog that needs help, people will go and pledge for that specific dog. So always wait to see which rescue pulls the dog and then you could honor your pledge by donating to that rescue and they'll put the information. Um, my specific rescue, we do um, senior and disabled dogs. So we're constantly asking for medical fosters and we're constantly asking for um, donations and stuff like that. So you can go to our website, um, K911RescueRESQ, and um, check out all the animals that we have there. Instagram, Facebook, we post them everywhere. And then you can follow along. I always give updates and I always and like, miraculous, let you updates. know what happens. I, I watch your yeah. updates and it fills my heart with joy as much as going to your page actually makes me tear yeah. up. I can't even look at it sometimes. I really cry every time I look at yeah. it. But for people out there, I saw this image yesterday of this dog she's working to adopt. And I immediately just went to my Chase app, went to Zelle, sent her some money. It's as easy as that. If you can help, please do what you can because my two guests are saints. They are gifts from God to these animals, and we need to help them as much as we possibly can. I know that we can all spare a little extra. Thank you both so much for being here. Claudio, thank you so much for shining a light on this, because I think the one thing I do know about Californians, 
is they do love dogs and they do love animals. And if there's one thing that we can do is fire people up to make a change. So God bless you both and thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. All right, up next, climate change is religion for people who don't believe in religion and Al Gore is exploiting the hell out of those people. And my final thoughts are next. There are two types of climate change people, the green hairs, as I call them. You know the type, you're a typical liberal that likes to rage against the machine of industry, capitalism, and basic hygiene, the feel the burn type of people. These green hairs, while kooky and delusional, really do believe in saving the planet. They are well-meaning morons, if you will, but I still give them credit. Then there's the other type of climate change warrior I give zero credit to. The stuffy, rich, white liberals who fly around on private jets and don't give a hoot about the actual environment. They just like hearing themselves talk, even if it is straight out of their behind. People like this. You know, the climate deniers uh, uh, are really in some ways similar to all of those uh, almost 400 law enforcement officers in Uvalde, Texas who were waiting outside an unlocked door uh, while the children were being massacred. They heard the screams, they heard the gunshots, and uh, nobody stepped forward. And God bless those families who've suffered so much. And law enforcement officials tell us that's not typical of what uh, law enforcement usually does. And Confronted with this global emergency, what we're doing with our inaction and failing to walk through the door and stop the killing uh, is not typical of what we are capable of as human beings. We do have the solutions. Yes, Al Gore really did just compare so-called climate change deniers to the Uvalde police who failed to stop a mass shooter that gunned down and slaughtered 21 children and school teachers. There's comparing apples to oranges, then there's what you just heard, which is so off-base, so tone-deaf, so utterly ridiculous, I thought it was a parody when I first read the headline. But this isn't the first time the drama queen of climate change has made inappropriate comparisons between weather and war and tragedy. In his remarks at the World Economic Forum in 2020, Gore compared climate change to Thermopylae, Agincourt, the Battle of the Bulge, Dunkirk, and 9-11. So dramatic, so stupid, so typical Al Gore. It's so easy for these disingenuous hacks who've made their money in politics to turn around and tell blue-collar Americans and blue-collar towns that their industries, livelihoods, and generational jobs should just cease to exist. Easy to say when you're rich and don't rely on these jobs to feed your family, Al. It's funny, though, because I did a little research on Mr. Gore and discovered he has a mansion right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, that's over 10,000 square feet and uses about 12 times as much energy as the average homes in the area. I don't know what's more repulsive to discover, his hypocrisy or the fact that he lives in Nashville. Now, there is an inconvenient truth. As a conservative, I want nothing more than to preserve our country, our clean air, and our natural beauty, which is probably why I find it so repugnant to watch all these Californians and big city liberals moving in and buying up land and developments in Tennessee, Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota, and everywhere else the good Lord blessed with few liberals to begin with. But they pat themselves on the back for growing hobby gardens and driving around in $100,000 Teslas right on up the driveway to their 10,000 square foot energy sucking mansions that serve as second or third homes for these quacks. So take your climate religion and pound sand. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.